Hello, and welcome to Wyverns and Weirdos Fathomless, a D&D podcast set in the world of Fiello. I'm your Dungeon Master Darby, and joining me as always are Eddie playing Tibble, Mitch playing Neris, Laura playing Rue, Jake playing the Fishman, Joe playing Alton, Emily playing Cerise, Zoe playing Loren. Let's jump into it. discussions between the crews of the Polaris and the Red Phoenix. In particular, the most significant of which was Loren calling Neris out. And then once everyone was settled for the night, three people had visions in the night. Alton of some strange being. Neris seeing through someone's eyes in a room unfamiliar to him. And Cerise, her patron, asking something of her. We pick back up a new morning on the Polaris. So if we actually rewind a little bit to slightly earlier in the evening, at some point Cerise or Tibble would have told Loren that we were invited to stay the evening and shown us to our guest quarters. Loren would have been very thankful if it had been Tibble, and to Cerise she would have rolled her eyes a little bit and said, of course we are. She would have stayed in that room for maybe an hour, hour and 20 minutes before this fidgety energy kind of takes over. And if Cerise is in the room and not doing her own thing, Loren would have said something vague about needing to keep watch. And then she would have gone up onto the deck. And there are two crow's nests. She would have looked to see if Fishman was in one of them. You see him doodling away, almost like satisfyingly. Loren would have given Fishman a little salute just because she knows it pisses him off. And then she would have gone to the other mast and using a combination of Misty Step and a Storm Sorcerer's inherent ability to call the winds to them, she would have flown up to the crow's nest and landed in there. Fishman would also see her kind of leaning out of the little crow's nest She calls out a word in Primordial, and from a hundred feet away, a tiny little blue-winged figure appears and comes back, and her little pseudo-dragon lands on her shoulders, having been flying around the ship most of the day. She gives him a little scritch. Yeah, what does Fishman do? (laughs) He would have smirked a little bit, and then he would have turned the page quickly, did another scribble, and held up a piece of paper saying 10 out of 10. And then gone back to his book, flipped over, and probably shortly after would have gotten down from the crow's nest, maybe five, ten minutes, and then gone on his way. Loren grins at him. She likes him, even if she has certain opinions of the members of the Polaris. She appreciates Fishman. I've heard about him enough times. In the crow's nest, is it still raining? Not quite as heavy anymore, but it is still constant. Eirik probably curls up under her hair as much as he can. 
And she goes, I know, little one. You don't want to catch your death. It's all right. It's all right. I'll head back inside soon. She sits there for about five or ten minutes. And when she sees Fishman leave, she exhales. And then she starts taking off one of her shoes. Some people maybe would have noticed this about her. Tibble, probably most of all, because he is basically at eye level with her shoes. But she actually has two items tied into her laces, almost like jewelry. One is a tiny rectangular gold bar that, that is attached to her shoe, almost like a tag, almost like a dog tag. It is her name, it is her date of birth, and it is an address. That is not the shoe she is undoing. On the other side is a rolled gold wedding ring. She unlaces her shoe and completely pulls the laces out. She is wearing socks, <laughs> little knitted ones. She undoes the laces until she can hold up the wedding ring. And then she kind of kneels in the crow's nest, her elbows over the edge, holding this ring. And she looks out at where the sea meets the sky, that line of the horizon, even in the dark and even in the rain, always aware of where that is. Hi, Mom. It's been a while. I would say I don't know if you can hear me, but I've said that enough times that if you can hear me, you're sick of it, and if you can't, it doesn't matter. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. I need to ask you a question, actually, and I don't know if you're going to like it. Dad always said you were a good person, so that's part of why he fell in love with you. I didn't know I never met you. But he says I'm a lot like you when I'm at home. Out here, though, I've got your face, at least. I just, I don't know. I've never heard your voice, but for some reason I can hear you. And I feel like you're telling me that I'm being a bit of a gobshite. Because I'm not. Well, and she kind of flops back completely, almost teenager-like in her movements, and Eirik kind of scuttles out of the way. Well, I just, I don't think I should, why should I give them everything? Like, I'm a pirate, is it not my prerogative? Like, I, I should have an advantage, shouldn't I? Oh, but I can hear you, I can hear what you're saying, ma. And if you were to do like a little TV, like zoom in on Loren's brain, she doesn't picture a face when she thinks of her mum. It's, it's like how sometimes people say they can remember being born. The earliest memories you ever have are ones that you slowly forget because they were too far away. She remembers her mother as a very specific storm and the way it separated them. And she feels this storm and thinks on this storm. <sighs> I know he asked me to tell them ma. Do they deserve to know? I mean, on the one hand, I don't think they're very good people, and that's a lot coming from me. I'm a very bad person, but like, I've got integrity. Do they? I know, ma. I don't get to decide. I just... They left him. Even if they had been doing everything they could. How do you let him get taken in the first place? If it was me, I... I wouldn't come back. You're right. <sighs> Dad's right, isn't he? 
I'm too proud for me own good. Good chat, ma. I'll speak to you soon. Unless you try to speak to me first. And on the inside is engraved until the sky meets the sea. And then she looks at Eirik. All right. Better do it now before I lose me resolve. And then she once again uses that sorcerer ability to fly 10 feet just through the power of wind, gets down onto the deck, immediately realizes she only has one shoe on <laughs> and is like, well, and just kind of walks with one unlaced shoe and attempts to find any of the senior officers. But she does almost out of duty as she does not want to. All the officers' quarters are near each other, but there is one door she thinks she should go to. You probably would have noticed that Kara was down on the deck. She's not a senior officer. It would not occur to you to go to her, but you would notice that Kara was down on the deck in the rain. Good night, Forrest. She would have looked up at you from where she was leaning over the banister. You cannot comprehend the look she has on her face. It almost seems a bit guarded, but she just gives you a nod, but watches you as you leave and doesn't turn back to the ocean until you've gone. Lorraine acknowledges a guarded look when she sees it. She walks towards the senior officer's quarters, realizes it is like 4.30 in the morning, and then, I'm sorry to say, Neris. So... As you approach the door, there is a very low but still detectable, not a hum, but there is some form of noise coming from it, like something rhythmically moving in a pattern. And as you knock, that noise stops and the door creaks open. And you see sitting at his desk, kind of leery-eyed, like it's 4.30 in the morning and he's not had any chance to sleep yet but with pages and pages of loose notes, uh, a couple of maps, some different books that he's got all strewn across the desk with a quill in one hand, another one tucked behind an ear and a third one sitting in a little inkwell that looks like it's slowly drying up. You hear Neris's voice. You're up late. What can I help? Ah. You look like shite. Look, I was pretty harsh on you before. Fully deserved, but I was pretty harsh on you. I am realizing in the anger there was information I forgot to give. I decided to do it now before I decided to continue being a main person. Very well. What do you know? Many things. But a relevant one. She kind of steps in and does close the door behind her, but she's not looking at the door. It's one of those things where she's like intimidation, maintaining eye contact and just shuts the door behind her. I figure this was probably something you would work out eventually, but you know, clearing me own conscience here. Janice is being tracked, blocked magically. Can't be found unless you pull on the threads around the shape of where he was. If they're tracking him, so they always know where he is, you're going to need something to block his signal when you get him back. Again, I feel like it was probably a logical conclusion to draw, but... And she does kind of get this moment of tension and then releases it. He wanted me to tell you. 
Thank you for bringing this information to me. I would say it's a pleasure, but it ain't. I know. You, um... You mentioned you wanted to speak with me, to tell me the information previously, but then Mm -hmm. your anger got in the way. Aye. Which is why you forgot what I would assume to be very critical and important information that someone should most likely not forget. But you let your emotions control you. I also let my emotions control some of what I said. Well, we are both at fault for tapping into our emotions and not controlling them properly. I would like to be the better uh, arcanist and apologize for my behavior. You want to apologize for having a nervous breakdown in front of me? Don't worry. It was the highlight of my week. I don't like that. Of course you don't. Look, I'm not an arcanist. I'm just a weirdo who can control the magic around her. I don't care if you have feelings, Neris. If anything, it makes me respect you more. You really think people care about someone who doesn't seem like they give a shit? I don't think much of your captain, if I may be so bold. But people like him. He's their friend. I don't know what you are to them except their quartermaster. I don't aim to be anything else. I have no need to. Well... No, I was about to make another mean comment, but I feel like I'm... Why not? Tonight is a night for it. Oh, kick you while you're down. Might as well. I will never be down again. (laughs) All right. I see you had something. Put some verve and vigor in you. All right. Do you really control the environment around you? Or are you just a sounding board for it? What do you mean? You said... That you're not an arcanist, that you merely control the environment around you. You book types love to put people in boxes, don't you? That's how it feels. Does it have to be what it is on paper? Magic runs in me blood. I can change the wind, I can stop the rain. Is that not the magic around me? Hmm. Can you do any better? I have no interest in things such as trivial as the weather. All right. Had a whole conversation with me about the storm, but I'm sure I'll believe you this time. Was there anything else that you forgot to mention? Uh, your toad sure looks nice. Thank you. I feed him very well. I though you seem to neglect your plants for him, though. They all look like shite. <laughs> uh, yes, they are all dead. Well, you certainly aren't a green thumb then. I'll take my leave of you. Have a lovely night with your books and your boxes. I sure hope you have anti-scrying magic somewhere around here. I will do what I can. Thank you very much for bringing this to me. Anytime. And she turns, I assume, to see a giant pile of broken glass. Uh, You do not. The floor is nice and clean. There is nothing on the back of the door. Oh, okay. She wouldn't have noticed if there was a picture on the back of the door before, so she exits probably finds Eirik crying sadly in the hallway because she wouldn't have brought him in because she is mean to Neris, but she does not want his toad to get eaten. And then she would return to her and Cerise's room and she would get as much sleep as she can. For reference, uh, Neris will stay awake for the rest of the night just studying and poring over all the notes that he has. 
Lorraine might have seen Alton just walking by as she goes back to bed and he looks about the same as he always does. There doesn't seem to be anything different except for the fact that he obviously doesn't want to talk at this stage and just strides right by. And this is about the scene that Alton has looked after every one of his visions. No one is ever quite aware just what Alton has dreamed of, what has contacted him over the night. And in this evening is the same. No sounds came from his room, perhaps some sounds of footsteps as he paced about after he awoke. And he looked the same as always as when he left. But this vision happened and it was unlike any other previous visions. It didn't only leave Alton with the usual sense of fear and and foreboding, it also left him with confirmation. After Alton had spent quite some time pushing away the panic, controlling his breathing, trying to get himself under control, he looks to the ceiling and he says, So I was right. It was her all along. Speeding things up, I see. Are we going to get a move on that already, or uh, only took nearly two centuries? Can I at least know how long I have left? No? Fuck, you never even spoke to me until now. There's no response. Just the beating of his own heart. And after a moment of stillness, he leaps to his feet and he starts frantically searching about his room, grabbing out all his possessions, his machinery, his like weapons that he's been working on and repairing and adding his own machinations to. He gets out some medical notes. He gets out like an essay that he started writing about non-magical healing and socioeconomic status. He gets out a piece of paper parchment that he'd stored away in uh, waterproof wrappings. And he takes a look at this blueprint, none of which is in his own hand. And he just wilts, finding this all so, so lacking. He walks out of his room, totally composed, passes by Loren, passes by anyone else who may be on the deck, and he will sit down by the deck and look out to where the sun will rise. He removes his dark shades and he's just going to sit and watch the sunrise and think about how many, many years can pass, but absolutely nothing has changed. Ara would be there and she would see you and she'd give you a nod, but unless you tried to talk to her, she would, um, regardless of where you are, turn back and watch the sunrise over the storm on the sea. Elton would give another return. I think he would probably sense there'd be some kind of solidarity in that, but he does not wish to speak at this time. He'll just watch the sunrise. And they probably eventually go down to the kitchen together. <laughs> they eventually go down to the kitchen together. Silence over work time now. Right, Don't actually speak time. until they get to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. While Alison is like rummaging through his room, looking at all of his possessions, he will come across 
uh, the drawing that Fishman drew for him of Alton and all their senior officers standing on the ship together looking happy and he'll just kind of look at it for a moment, expression kind of unchanging, and then he just puts it carefully in the centre of his desk. What else are people doing come this morning? Cerise at this stage has probably woken up. She spends a little bit of time wandering about the decks, just looking deep in thought. Then she goes and wanders down to the senior officers' cabins and just loiters, like she's waiting for something or someone. And how long do you wait? (laughs) As long as it takes, Fishman. At some point, Tibble might be walking past to the mess hall. Morning, Cerise. Good morning. Not keen for breakfast or? I'll be right. Just having a bit of stretch. You're not waiting for someone in particular? Maybe Loren or? Perhaps. Perhaps Loren? I'm pretty sure she's still Loren. She was when I saw her last. One doesn't have to reveal all their secrets now, do they? Well, if it has to do with harming or kidnapping my crew, I'll uh, kill you myself. But otherwise, as you are. Tibble gives like a very genuine grin and he taps his little mouth nose and then heads on down to the mess hall. Um, you're waiting a long time and no fish, man. Every single other person probably would have come out of their quarters except for Fishman. You can probably gauge which door is his from that, but you are still waiting. After breakfast, Timur walks on up. It's been a few hours and he sees Cerise like as he's walking and he takes a couple of steps back. How's the uh, secret business going? Perfectly well, thank you. Well, if you need anything. And he looks really bewildered. And then just sort of scampers up onto deck to continue his work. Cerise does at some point wander back to the cabin that she was given with Loren. She's just like on the bed with Eirik doing something you've seen her do a million times, which is just playing with that little wedding ring. Rough night then. I kept watch, didn't I? There's a correct amount of pirates on this ship, so we're all good. What about you? Where have you been all morning? Doing a bit of uh, reconnaissance. Reconnaissance? All right. I assume this had nothing to do with a six foot eight fellow wearing a chainmail miniskirt. Now, why would you possibly think of that? I don't know, Captain. I feel like you've just mentioned his name one or two times. If I didn't know you any better. I'd say some words that could get me kicked off the ship for treason. Well, I'm assuming you didn't kill the wizard boy. He's not worthy of the end of my blade. He gave them all the uh, information he needed. She looks at the wedding ring. Eventually. Well, we can't take too much longer here. Why? Thought we were planning on following them. We will follow them a little bit, but some other things have come up. What? How? Who do you answer to? That's none of your business just yet. Oh, it's the fella in your head, isn't it? It's that little weirdo. We have to find something. 
he's sending us on a treasure quest. Perhaps. Why? Because it's time for things to change a little. Sorry, Captain. Remember, I'm a feckin' idiot. What needs changing? Aren't we on a good trajectory? We're potentially days away from being able to get ourselves a brand shiny new bosun if we beat this lot to it. This is so much more than just our shit. This is about the world. What does the world want with us? Many things. You don't need to know all of it just yet. Sorry, Captain. You order, I follow. That's what we do. Good. How much longer are we going to be here? Hard to say. We'll wait and see if they find anything decent. I have a feeling that wizard knows more than he's letting on. Of course he does. Look at him. No one that smart is that smart because they're a good person, if you know what I mean. Divination magic is still so new. Load of bollocks, if you ask me. Could be useful, though. Do we have to? I think he's about ten seconds away from trying to shoot me with something. If he could manage to hit. You know, I think if that boy threw a punch, he'd break his entire arm. I'd say his entire body, but... (laughs) He doesn't need an arm, he just needs his brain. Fair. Stick around for a little bit. Do what your god wants. Aye, aye. Do you need help with your reconnaissance? Not just yet. You know, if you just knock on his door, it'll wake him up. If it's below your station to knock on people's doors, I'll do it like a ding-dong ditch. I'll just knock and run. You really think I need your help with that kind of thing? Of course not. I'm just saying, I'm helpful, aren't I? Helpful and entirely too mouthy sometimes. Oh, you'll love it, don't you, though? I suppose you should probably get that creature some food. His name's Irik. And you know, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear you're the reason he's getting a bit of a tummy. He spends just as much time in your office as he does in my room. And I keep telling you to keep him out of my office. He wants to go there. I'll take him to get some breakfast, Captain. Enjoy your reconnaissance. She scoops up Irik, puts the wedding ring on one of her fingers, and she walks off to the mess hall. Cerise, having spoken to Loren, pulls out a flask, takes a swig, and then wanders back to where she's figured out that Fishman's door is and knocks. Um, nothing. She knocks again, a little bit louder. Who who is it? Cerise. Go away. <laughs> now why would I do that? I do not know and I do not care. Go away. You were up quite late. How would you know this? I know things. What do you want? Just to talk. Then you can do it from the other side of the door, and quick. What, you won't come out here? I am not leaving, and you are not coming in. 
Go away. If there's a lot of silence and he doesn't hear footsteps, he's going to say, You have a voice of someone who plays tricks, who manipulates. I do not wish to speak with you. And I'm asking for one final time for you to leave. Most people around here are manipulators. So I've read. But very well. And she wanders off. Um, yeah, Fishman probably still won't come out for quite some time. Probably wouldn't be about till just before lunch that Fishman comes out. And unless no one else wanted to do anything, he's going to go out and find Cerise. Cerise is probably at this point somewhere up on the deck, if not in the crow's nest, probably sitting right up on the edge with her feet dangling over one of the sides. Uh, Yeah, cool. Fishman will go up and he'll go... Cerise, I believe I owe you a bit of an apology. Oh? But I will say it is common knowledge of the ship not to disturb me early of the morn. Did no one mention this? I find it hard to believe you didn't run into any of the other crew members. (laughs) It was never mentioned. That is fair. Nor did I expect you to come see me so early. Was there something urgent? Not urgent. Well, then I believe I offer some sort of an apology. I'm not in the best mood of a morning. I think the only person around here that would be a morning person would be your captain. Indeed, and possibly Kara. She's always cheering a at the time of day. Hmm. That seems about right. But might I ask what it is you were coming to see me about? Just wanted to chat. Well, then is this not a fine time and place? Mm, certainly. It's a lovely view. Most certainly is. You seem... You seem like someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> Between you and me, it is simply something of a show. In fact, I fail quite often. But what people see is me succeeding. Or, instead, me turning a failure into a success of something else. What is life without a little bit of failure? Exactly. And it is my belief that everyone is failing in life. Just some like to boast about it, some don't. Is there something... You're trying to get to. Because I can probably pretend I know what I'm doing about it. Nothing in particular. I just find you interesting. I hear this quite a bit. It's, um... Sometimes humiliating, sometimes... Charming. I'll get invited to parties simply because I am... Unusual. I find myself being appointed to position, getting to influence with people simply for being different. People find me interesting, and that, strangely enough, makes me approachable in most cases. You've always been like this. 
for as long as I can remember. Is there any particular reason that you took to sailing, or...? How... have you been speaking with any of the other crew at all aboard this vessel? There is something quite significant that happened recently that I think you would have probably heard of. And it does tie into why I got into sailing in the first place. Well, the whole reason we found this ship was because we'd heard that a ship with invisible sails had been acting oddly. Well, do you recall the name Ulthron? Would Cerise have any idea of this name? Draw me an Arcana check. Arcana? Okay. Nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. Uh, I would say for a nineteen, probably not. No. uh, Can't say I have. Wolfron is... A giant of a beast, a dragon turtle, quite large and many times our ship, who we recently confronted, or more so they confronted us. We managed to put up a good fight, and in the end, Ulthron ran away, despite it being many more sizes than our ship, much larger. Ulthron was after me, specifically. I have been looking for Ulthron, but did not quite know what I was looking for until that point in time. That is why I got into sailing, is to find out what I've been looking for. As as silly as it sounds, I wasn't quite sure, and I've spent many years trying to find this out. Only until recently, aboard the Polaris and its crew, find that out. I have to say... The Polaris continues to be full of surprises. That's it is, and you don't know the beginning of it. The Polaris has given me a lot of opportunities, and for that I am grateful. I boarded a mercenary vessel in the first place because I deemed it the best way to find what I was going for, offering a good medium of freedom and funding. You've been on many vessels then. I've been on quite a few, yes. Most of my adventure has been with none, but a small part of it has been with many a crew. Have you met me before, perhaps? Because I don't recall at all ever running into Captain Thunderbolt before, until our fated encounter just recently. No, I would have remembered running into you. But yes, that is why I sail. And I'm hoping to again find this dragon turtle and find more answers, perhaps get some sort of vengeance. I'm still not sure exactly what I'm after, but I believe one of my priorities is to find Ulthron again. Most rarely know what they're after. And what of you? Surely Captain Thunderbolt is after something. Everyone is. I have my missions. Confidential, obviously. For now. That is ominous. And yet you won't yet tell good friends, as he points to himself and those around him. 
Perhaps things are not solid enough to be said out loud just yet. So you're waiting? Yes, much like you. I would put it that I'm searching for something. I'm actively trying to find something. You are here aboard this vessel, and to my understanding, have been waiting many hours to find me. It seems that you are waiting for something and not finding it. Doesn't sound too urgent as well, if I might add. Perhaps not. Fishman's going to, like, crack his shoulders back and, like, put them down on the boarding. Um, and again, he, he does this a lot. He'll arch his neck backwards and then throw his head downwards towards Cerise. Do you ever put off this act, this veil of secrecy? Your image, it's... Again, I've once pointed out, I know there's something else behind there, but you don't show it. And just to who would you show it? Loren, perhaps? There is no one around here that I would, except one. It's, it's not Neris, is it? The skinny little wizard boy. No. He may be skinny, and he may be a wizard boy, but I do not see him as little. He holds up his own and does a lot around the Polaris. And despite him not really showing it, he does have quite a large heart. I think that's the nicest thing I've ever heard anyone say about him. People often do target him for insults, and I find it quite unjust. (laughs) Word of warning, don't insult Neris around me. Noted. So, who is this person, then? Because I'm starting to believe it's me. Perhaps. Or maybe there's something else I'd like to show you. (laughs) And what would that be? What, you haven't guessed? Well, ultimately, what I would like you to show me is Cerise. But all you show thus far is Captain Thunderbolt. Perhaps that's all I am anymore. I doubt that very much. Cerise doesn't exist. Does Fishman notice any kind of shift here? That's a... Ooh, hang on. Oh my god! He should do insight more often. That is 25, Darby and (laughs) Emily. Cerise, what does Fishman glean with a 25? When saying that Cerise no longer exists, she does seem to be sincere. The facade does sort of drop a little bit, and there is a little hint of sadness there. So it's just Captain Thunderbolt? Correct. And no one else, no outside influence, no person behind the mask? Not in the manner you're asking. And then in what manner, and please, I do insist, without all of these uncertainties, these maybes, perhaps, what have you? She holds out a hand and sort of snaps her fingers and a little crackling ball of energy appears. Very similar in energy to her eldritch blast. So the sort of red electric sort of energy crackles around her hand and around her palm 
before she sort of snuffs it out. Everyone has to get their power from somewhere. Indeed. And so, this person who I'm speaking with right now, is this but a husk of Cerise, who is Captain Thunderbolt, with someone else behind them, playing puppet, puppet master, if you will? Or is this simply a new you? Simply a new person. Well, the new... I like the new... Despite not having known the old you. <laughs> you know, I believe you shot me with that magic that you just tried to do then before. I did. I would apologize, but it was just business. Business indeed. It left a little bit of a scar as well. You did shoot me as well. Yes, but I don't believe I quite hit the mark, did I? Again, I pretend to know what I'm doing. Fishman's going to look around deck and see if Neris is around. I, for the most part, I don't think he would be. Cool. But he, he would he would come up every now and then. Yeah, that's know. fine. He's going to time it, and as soon as Neris is like gone for like about a minute or two, he's going to throw a plate from the Polaris because we're up in the crow's nest, aren't we? He's going to throw it port side. And he's going to attempt to shoot it, if he can. Uh, roll me a dexterity. Just flat dexterity is not too flash hot. That is a 13. Yeah, that's enough to hit a plate. Sometimes I know what I'm doing, though. Sometimes I do, and it makes me very happy. As all of the plates kind of just plush, sploosh into the water. <laughs> Perhaps you just need some more practice. So, Rue, as they want to do, not being required to eat or be present in the mess hall and not really feeling a part of the crew as I drifted in and out, or, you know, Fishman and Cerise having their crow's nest rendezvous, Rue instead is just wandering out onto the deck. They have, in fact, installed with much excitement the long feathers that Lorraine gifted them. Some around the little cape flight, which is still looking quite warm, but they've put some of the smaller black feathers around there. And then the long red and black feathers, almost like a crest kind of arrangement, a long ruse hat that they always like to wear. And they're looking very pleased with themselves. It's not raining, but there's still some like cloud cover from the previous day's rain. I believe Tibble, most likely the night previous, would have mentioned that at first light they would be shifting on. Red Phoenix just on the horizon. Yeah, behind the clouds. <laughs> Observes all of this, watches the ocean drift by, and Ham's standing there next to him, probably eyeing off a seagull that's gotten a little bit too close to him. Now, Ham... What would that do for your indigestion? Oh, another bird, also white. And Rue probably notices as a white dove circles down towards the Polaris and then probably lands on the railing nearest to where Rue is. It's a, like a messenger dove. Don't eat this one either, Ham. And then we'll very deftly reach out and try to pat it with one long finger and then with the other hand carefully take the letter. As soon as you take the letter, the bird flutters down below deck. Strange. I suppose it knows the place. That is fortunate. Rue looks at the letter again and then turns to Ham and is like, Let's go for a walk, Ham. We should deliver a letter. 
Now I'm a postman. Well, postperson. Postman is alright, I suppose. And they're going to go and look for Tibor. Tibor actually wouldn't be too far away. Tibor walks five steps. He's at the helm at the moment, down the other side of the deck. It probably is still like a little bit of a walk. He looks a little worn out, and next to him, Tim is standing ready to take over if need be. Rude approaches and then stands there and just looks down. Captain Tibble, how are you faring this morning? Oh, rule, lad. Apologies. Um, My apologies for startling you. Tim, do you want to take the helm a moment? I won't be long. Tibble kind of scampers off his little stand where he takes control of the helm and he kind of hops down off the platform. You're looking quite dashing this morning, Rue. Rue sort of puffs himself up a bit like a bird would and probably for the effect, little crest feathers will prick up a little bit. How delightful. I like what you've done. Thank you very much. It is a very kind gift from Loren. Ah, gift from Loren. It seems you've made a good impression then. Yes, she was very nice and kind to me. She got me these feathers. I found her to be a lot more sincere than I believe she wishes to be. But I think that makes her a nicer person, even if she wishes to hide it that way. Did you know that my mentor, he had feathers like these? As much as I wish she would um, take it a bit easier on some of my other crew, I am quite fond of her myself. Apologies, I'm blabbing on. Was there a reason you wanted to see me, Rue? Oh, of course. This is probably important, or maybe not important at all. Perhaps it is, as they say, junk mail and just advertisements. But you have a letter addressed to you that was delivered by a white doll. And Rook reaches into their little surgeon's apron and pulls out a letter. Tibble's eyes widen and you see his little paw twitch. Sorry, apologies, lad. Um, do you mind? May I take this? Of course, it is your letter. I would not wish to keep it from you. Once he takes the letter, and you can probably tell he's doing everything in his power not to snatch it, but once he has taken it from you, he carefully but swiftly tears it open to read it then and there. What might it say, Laura? <laughs> okay, um, so pretty plain parchment, nothing too fancy, and there's like a very particular sort of angular script there. It reads, Captain Tibble, I thank you for keeping me informed on the nature of my husband and your kindness on the matter of his... of Jay's wages. We do have another little one on the way, and... There's some attempts at writing which have all been scribbled out, presumably because they're either too emotional or too angry. There's a little bit of a tension mark in the parchment and a couple of points. And then it continues. Unfortunately, despite my best efforts, I know nothing of these sin seekers, nor the names you mentioned. I have looked over books and journals here at home, but I cannot find breath of a word about any of these people this Silenon. Aloysius, Rort, and all these other names you listed. Are they followers of Shognesh, perhaps, the god Jay talks to? Either way, they'd best hope they don't cross paths with me before Jay returns to you. I haven't told the children. It is both a strength of our marriage and a great loss in this situation that Jay and I have kept our paths to the minimum with one another. Both of us have parts of our life that we regret, and we do share them. 
But again, there is much regret in things that wish to be changed and don't reflect who we are now. Jay has had a lot of enemies in the past. So have I, and so do I still. The same is probably true for Jay. And every other time he has been... There's sort of more attempts at writing, but it's just another scribble. I will be in touch if I know more. I do appreciate your help. Though I will say, Captain Tibble, get my husband back to safe shores soon. If you can, I'll make sure next time I see that I'll only kill you quickly instead of taking my time to enjoy myself. Love, Anna. So Tibble, um, he's quiet as he reads the letter and we would see him going over it several times and absorbing it and takes a deep breath, folds up the letter and puts it in the breast pocket of his vest. Okay. I assume it was not junk mail. No, Rue. It most certainly was not. Let me know if you ever need to talk. Or I can recommend Ham. He is a very good listener. I would know. Timur gives Ham, like, a little scratch under the chin. He's like, well, you can see that the focus he had has wavered a little bit, but he, rather than say any real goodbye, he just gives you a nod and just turns and walks back to the helm. Even though Tibble isn't looking at him, Rue does nod back and then turns back to Ham. Now, Ham, some new tea is in order, I think. Come with me. And then he, he kind of like lopes off with him, patting after him. I think we're going to move towards wrapping up for this week. But before we do, there is one more scene. But I would like everyone except for Laura to please remove your headphones. Janice, you find yourself on the ship of the Sin Seekers, keeping to your routine. You're now allowed to wear your armor on board the ship though your glaive is still held under lock and key in the armory. You see Aloysius approach you. Emergency meeting in the war room. The boss has new orders. An emergency meeting, brother? Do you know what of? Something has apparently come up. Of course. Janice nods and he will follow. Arriving in the war room, you see six figures other than yourself. Aloysius, Rort, Zam, Zardost, Silenon and a hooded figure you don't recognize. The occasional flicker gives away the illusory nature of their presence here. This is clearly the boss. We have had an unpleasant development. Things have been seen that should not have been seen. And so we must accelerate certain aspects of the plan. He points at the map on the central table. Make your way to these coordinates. You will find a Polaris there. Eliminate the captain. Do whatever you want to the rest of them, but do not kill the wizard. Maybe of use to us still, one way or another. Janus, when he was on board the Polaris, was very aware, at least in the position he was hired in, that he is there to look intimidating and to listen to orders. But even in this heavy... Almost ambivalence that he settled into his expression. He does raise his eyebrows. The Polaris. 
what what has happened? What reason do we have for this return? May I beg ask? What interest could the Polaris bring to these plans? And Tibble, the, the, the captain, I mean, is that truly necessary? The Polaris is a rogue element. It was always something that needed to be dealt with. Of course. But certain things have transpired, and it is necessary to accelerate its uh, removal from the picture. I see. And I am to go on this mission, then? You all are. All of us. Yes. And we must kill the captain and do whatever with the rest except for Nerus. Yes. The wizard still will have use to factor into what is to come. Of course. And a shadow goes across his face, metaphorically speaking. Then it will be done. The Polaris will be boarded and we shall bring a most dreadful storm. All right. So that is where we leave it for this week. See you next week, everyone. See you next week, everyone. <laughs> Bye. 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 Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> ah. The second, the second, the second we, we did the close, my computer was like, ooh, internet connection is unstable. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you, you had to talk, so then they passed on from Zoe to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, while you're doing that, can we all just revel in the sheer brilliance that is Jake? <laughs> Little twirl some, into frame. There was some mental <laughs> gymnastics. I was like, how do I do this and end up forwards and not backwards? <laughs> <laughs>